Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today we are talking about all things breastfeeding. So um, I know Sarah, you and I have chatted about this before um, with our own experiences, but I know we both had quite different experiences um, with breastfeeding. For me, it was yeah, it wasn't wasn't straightforward at all. Um, I had an open mind going into it, wanted to try it, and I uh, started off with the first couple of days and everything was okay and fine, and then I think due to my labor and experiences that I had and it resulted in blocked ducts and mastitis and all those things that go along with it and yeah so then I kind of with in terms of even like feeding Dara at that stage he was a very hungry baby so my milk flow wasn't coming in quick enough for him so chatted with my health visitor and we just decided obviously it wasn't it wasn't working out for me at that stage but it is disheartening when you get to that stage and it's not working and you're frustrated and you kind of do beat yourself up even though you say you won't but um yeah so that was my experience I mean how was it for you well I my experience was um there was a few bumps in the road you know I think there always is it the thing is breastfeeding is natural but it's not easy it's, yeah. and I think it's very difficult you know we both we had conversations while we were pregnant you know both of us wanted to to try it but until you're actually in the the middle of it and then these obstacles pop up and it's so hard and the support is not there yeah. for for women really no you have to really search for it um I'm I was very fortunate because my mom was a midwife and I did have I feel extra support there to help me through um so I had a smoother journey, but it's it still had it's um it's um ups and downs, shall we say? And I'm in the position at the moment where I'm still feeding Theo and trying yeah. to bring that to an end. Um. So yeah, Bretton, there's so much to talk about, really, isn't there? there? Is. With it, <laughs> so it'll be really interesting um to to delve in and see what there is to say. Today we are joined by Janet Calvert from the Public Health Agency and Janet is the breastfeeding lead um, at the PHS. So welcome Janet and thank you for joining us today. Um, Janet, we'll just kind of start with um, a little bit about yourself and, and your background and how you got into the role you did. I mean, was it was it, um, was it something you always went down or was this kind of a, a way into to breastfeeding with, with your um, your job now? So my background is midwifery. I was a, a midwife for many years and uh, about 20 years. I was always interested in breastfeeding and especially so whenever I had my own children who are now long since grown up and have now two grandkids. And I'm pleased to report they were breastfed too. But I, I really got into breastfeeding, I think, um, whenever I had my own children and I realised that even for midwives it could be challenging even though you had the theory and you were used to it on a daily basis helping women with breastfeeding 
once you get that little bundle of joy in your arms, it can be quite a different story. And I suppose I then started to learn a bit more about why it really mattered. And the science really, really appealed to me. And uh, I began to realise this is so important. And then when I had my second baby, he was a, an emergency cesarean section and he was in special care for seven weeks. And so I couldn't take him in my arms and breastfeed him. So I had to be able to keep my milk supply going um, for all that time. Um, and it just became so important because he had really um, a difficult time when he was born. He was a term baby. So it was then that I started to think this is something that every mum should get all the help that they need to be able to succeed. So I started to study and I um, then I approached my manager and said way back uh, in 1996 and said, I think we need a breastfeeding post in this maternity unit. And she said, OK, right, well, do some training. And it took off from there. And then in 2002, I got a job with the public. It was then the health promotion agency as the first lead for breastfeeding in Northern Ireland. So and I've been doing it ever since then. So it's something obviously you have you have a massive passion for and um, and today we want to talk you know about breastfeeding because it is a wonderful thing to be able to do with your baby but it does come with hurdles you know I had my wee boy he's 18 months now and we were I, I always say we were very fortunate that we didn't have too many hurdles um that we had a relatively smooth breastfeeding journey but you know there's there's things like tongue tie mastitis block ducts that can impact a woman's decision to continue breastfeeding um what would you say the most common issues are you know the ones that you see um, and the best ways that women can get help and support with them that's a really good question sarah um Certainly, in my experience, and looking at the research evidence that we have from not just Northern Ireland, but the rest of the UK and indeed the world, one of the commonest things that women struggle with with breastfeeding is their confidence in believing they have enough milk to fully nourish this baby. They really doubt that, you know, whenever the baby is having a tricky day and unsettled, the first thing we think of is it's me, it's my milk, I don't have enough milk for this baby. And then maybe family, friends are saying, oh, you know, that, does that baby need fed again? And mums begin to doubt themselves. So there's that bit about getting your milk supply going and having confidence that you can grow this baby. You have enough milk to fully nourish this baby. The other practical thing is getting the positioning and attachment right. You know, getting it right for you and your baby that it's comfortable for you both. And you see, because we've grown up in a bottle feeding society and the majority of us come from bottle feeding families. So we only see bottle feeding. And when we're given a newborn baby to hold, you don't know how to position the baby well for breastfeeding. And while it's a natural thing, it's not necessarily instinctive. You know, you need to learn it. It's a learned behaviour for you both. Coupled with, um, I think some mums don't get that dream delivery that they'd hoped for. They maybe have a difficult birth and needed medication, maybe had a cesarean section. So the baby's out of sorts, the mum is out of sorts, and they both need help to get started with that and to know that the baby is on well and feeding effectively. So for me, those are the two things. And those things that you mentioned, Sarah, about mastitis, you know, and, and poor milk supply, they're very much linked to issues with the baby just being effectively on the breast, being well attached, as we talk about. 
Um, the tongue tie thing is interesting. You know, it has really come to the fore in the, in recent years, but we need to be careful about that because it's very easy to go down the route of, oh, I think my baby has a tongue tie and that's what's causing my breastfeeding problems. That's what's causing the pain. That's why the baby's feeding so often. So it's important that if a mum suspects that she has an issue, her baby maybe has a tongue tie, that needs properly obsessed, you know, assessed. So, so a, a midwife, health visitor, or even better, a breastfeeding specialist observes that baby feeding, looks inside the baby's mouth and then decides if they think that that baby might need a referral on for a procedure called a frenulotomy. So it's just a little snip under the tongue, but we don't want to be doing that unnecessarily. And if you get it done and the problem hasn't been a tongue tie, the problem has been that the baby just wasn't on as well as it could have been then it's not going to solve the, the problem. So so it's it's kind of a bit trendy at the minute, you know, the tongue tie thing. But actually, my colleagues who work and have um, lactation clinics would say that even though it's there, you don't necessarily need to do anything with it other than get help with getting the positioning and attachment as good as it can be. Yeah, that's really interesting because my wee boy actually had a tongue tie. That was one of our, I suppose, hurdles in the, in the first... Um, couple of weeks as well as kind of a slow slow weight gain for him which I think is why we ended up going to to getting it seen getting it snipped um and yeah, you know yeah. our journey was quite smooth at, after that but I know what you mean you, you do hear a lot of people talking about tongue ties now um and that's I suppose it's an interesting point then for people just to think about that maybe there's something else that could be done before you go down that route yeah absolutely absolutely and there is there is um some really good information out there online videos and things about how you hold your baby you know keeping your baby close they're really kind of practical basic things but when you're sitting there with a baby in your arms and and maybe you're just uncomfortable from the birth it's very easy to sit feeding your baby in a really uncomfortable position and and it's not until somebody is there with you and says, let's see what we can do with your shoulders. Let's see how we can get this better for you and your baby. And that can make a huge difference. Just a few tips at the right time. So you can watch things online. And of course, the other place that you can go to, it's tricky now with the pandemic, of course, that the breastfeeding groups aren't meeting now face to face. But you can um, go online through a WhatsApp group, somebody can observe your baby feeding. And we have this army of peer volunteers, mother to mother supporters who are wonderful, who will have a chat with you and just give you those really important tips about how to get it as good as it can be. Because yeah, you really need that army, don't you, around you to, to help? Because I remember just trying all these different positions, you know, the, the rugby hold lying down and it's, um, it's overwhelming, I think, for mums and I think I always caught myself lucky that my own mum was a midwife, so she could support me. And I did have a great health visitor and and community midwife as well. Um, but you, you do need those key people and key groups, like the ones you're talking about, to kind of make your breastfeeding journey successful. I think that time in early motherhood, your friends, your peers are really, really important. And you build uh, friendships that are there for years to come, you know, and it, it means so much to have another friend who's going through the same thing, who, you know, who can talk you through it and say, I was there last week 
but this week is so much better for me and here's some things that you can do. The thing that I think is an awful shock to anybody, no matter how well prepared you think you are and how much support you have in place, is how constant it is, how much of your time it takes to get your feeding established, to get used to being a mum. And so that's something um, that... I wish we were able to better prepare mums for, you know, I used to be um, the parent craft lead in the, in the unit that I worked in, um, as well as the breastfeeding person. And we tried to have these parenting sessions for mums and dads to prepare them for not having time to brush their teeth, to go to the loo in peace, Do you know, and the tiredness, the fatigue that comes with it. But I don't think until you go through it, anybody can prepare you because we all think I can do this I am very capable this is not going to you know change the way I do things I can sort this but actually babies don't come with a clock or a or a book they haven't read the book so that adjustment is huge isn't it no matter who you are and how much support you have yeah, I think I think you're right, um, Janet. In that respect, it's one of those things when you become a parent, and as you say, you, you, there's nothing can prepare you for, it, despite despite all the reading and research you do beforehand. And I know, as you mentioned earlier on, um, particularly for those mums who have had, uh, you know, maybe a traumatic or a long labour or an emergency section, even even a long labour followed by an emergency section, um, which obviously then leads to a lengthy recovery and, and and all the all the things that goes with that. Um, so it can then become a shock if they want to breastfeed and that's that that's their choice and and that's what they want to do. It can become even more of a shock to the system when suddenly this baby wants to feed constantly, which we know is entirely normal at the beginning. The cluster feeding is is something that health visitors and midwives will, will will say yes, that that's normal. Don't worry that your baby wants to to feed constantly, especially in those early days, but. I mean, what what kind of practical advice do you have for helping mums to navigate that stage? Because we know it's hard enough adapting to life as a new mum and then you want to breastfeed. But as you say, suddenly you, you realise this has taken up all of my time. It is. I think it's um, it's helpful to have some practical kind of to have thought ahead and realise that you won't have time to cook three course dinners or to entertain the household. I mean, and that's one I suppose, positive of the pandemic and lockdown for many mums, certainly initially, it felt like they had the space and the time to get their feeding sorted and they were that bit more relaxed. But I think now as time has gone on, the isolation piece is really difficult for a lot of mums and thankfully things are opening up a bit and there is the opportunity to meet with friends outdoors and that makes a huge difference. But I used to say too, when I was a midwife and looking after new mums, you know, just before they would go home. Um, and what we used to notice in the, in the, certainly in the ward pre COVID, of course, was the visitors. The mums had so many visitors and they would be sitting there surrounded, the bed surrounded and they're all cooing and wanting a nurse of this baby. And the mum is absolutely exhausted and, you know, needs to, feed the baby maybe the baby needs fed but she doesn't want of course to breastfeed in front of all these family members um and and I think just saying to the mum it's okay to say I just need the space to do this and I'd prefer you just didn't call for a wee while or if you are going to call give me a ring because I could have had a really difficult night with the baby and it's okay to say that in some cultures 
the first two weeks after having a baby, you're not expected to do anything except look after yourself and your baby and other people feed you and help you with the housework and the laundry and all that stuff. And it just gives mums a chance to get started. And I know that for some mums that support isn't there, but I think if you can prepare yourself and try and think ahead, you know, what help do you have? What, what can I, what can I prioritize? And don't worry about the ironing or catching up with all your friends. Just focus on you and your time with your baby and try not to expect too much. Yeah, I think that's very hands on advice because it is something we don't um we probably don't do enough is say no and you know you're you're a new mom and you know especially if it is your first baby and even maybe a first grandchild in a family the excitement levels are obviously there but I mean that can be equally overwhelming for for a new mom who wants to breastfeed but doesn't feel you know either comfortable or or necessarily has that support at, at home so I think yeah we could all learn to say no more often I'm sure in, in life in general <laughs> Um, it was interesting, Janet, you mentioned, you know, obviously about uh, the pandemic and, and the grips and, you know, things have changed, how we access services have changed, um, in particular for new mums. And um, I know there are there are a lot of breastfeeding support groups. You know, I, I went to one um, in the, at the beginning of my journey. Um, how, how can mums access those groups now? Because I suppose we don't really know when they're going to be able to start up again in person. Can you talk us through a bit about the support that there is online for mums who are trying to breastfeed and breastfeed and maybe having a few issues. Sure. So throughout um, Northern Ireland, we have normally a hundred breastfeeding support groups. Some of those are run by the health service. The majority are run by Sure Start and some by La Leche League and NCT. But obviously, as you so rightly said, Sarah, face to face is not happening yet again. So. They have, um, many of them have responded to the need by developing Zoom breastfeeding groups so mums can meet online. On the Public Health Agency uh, breastfeeding website, breastfedbabies.org, in the support section, we have a, a list of all the Zoom groups when they're on, the links to them kind of thing. And there's no doubt that they have been a real lifeline. But we just recently did a piece of work uh, some focus group research with mums to find out what their lived experience was um, with breastfeeding over the pandemic and, and their support needs. And and what some of the mums are saying is that initially in the pandemic, when it all happened, to be able to join a group in your jammies with the laptop on your knee, sitting up in bed, feeding your baby was amazing. They absolutely loved it to not have to go out the door. But then you get you get sort of like technology fatigue where where everybody's saying like, I so want to see a friend. And we spoke to the supporters as well. So those that are, you know, running the groups and helping mums. And they were saying, sometimes you just need to see a mum face to face to see how she really is. Because the body language, you can't really read on a screen and you can't read when you have 10 or, you know, 20 people in a Zoom meeting. So th there's some recommendations that we will be taking from this report that isn't out yet, but we will be acknowledging that for most mums, they would like a blend. They would like some online and some face-to-face -face when they can. But also if a mum has a specific breastfeeding problem, 
where she needs one-to-one help. She needs that to have that as a one-to-one, whether it be an online consultation or in, in person, because you can't really, um, go through position and attachment in a meaningful way. And sometimes, you know yourself, when you go to groups, there can be a kind of dynamic where everybody knows everybody else. And it's hard enough going in when you're there in person and, you know, and feeling comfortable sharing. Well, it's not just as easy to share on an online platform sometimes um, and admit that you're struggling because it all tends to be a bit jolly, doesn't it, sometimes, you know? So um, so we're really trying hard to listen to shape services for the future and say, look, you know, we must hold on to our breastfeeding groups. We still need them face-to-face and the online is brilliant and there's no doubt that the convenience of not having to travel and not having to drag the toddlers out the door um, is superb. But there are certain situations where it has to be face-to-face or at at least a telephone call or a WhatsApp call one-to-one. And I suppose the pandemic, you know, breastfeeding rates in Northern Ireland have never been particularly good. Do you think the pandemic has had a negative impact on the breastfeeding rates or do you think having this online support from, you know, the word go could have helped in any way? Um, I think I'm not sure. We're not sure of we, we've looked at the figures. So we do an annual uh, briefing. We gather all the data from our Northern Ireland maternity system and we have the child health system as well. And we look at that regularly. And certainly um, when we were looking at it, we were seeing that potentially there maybe wasn't much of an impact that the rates were the same. And actually for some mums, they were saying, it's been good for me. I've managed to stay with breastfeeding where I might not have before. But I think where we were getting certainly in the feedback from women about their early experience, not being able to have your birth partner with you as much as you wanted. And in that early days, you know, that first day or so in hospital and going home from hospital earlier has probably had a detrimental impact. You know, if you need a bit longer to get your confidence up, um, it would be it, it would be all sort of more likely that you'd say, oh, well, I'll just give a wee bottle here because I'm not quite sure the baby's getting enough or oh, I'll just switch to bottle feeding kind of thing. So um, there's no doubt that we think there may have been an impact, but one might balance out the other in, t- in terms of it. It'll just be interesting whenever we we get a look at that. Yeah, and I think we're at that stage now, fingers crossed, um, Janet, in, in the pandemic where we are seeing things, as we talked about, reopening again. And we know the restrict some of the restrictions around maternity and, and the labour wards, etc. and visiting and birth partners have been lifted, which is, is great to see. And, and hopefully that's the way it stays. Um, and as well as that, obviously, we have the good news that we do now have vaccines in place to, to help protect everybody. And and that's a huge um, step forward to getting everybody out of this pandemic. But that was another thing then that obviously raised concerns for mums who are breastfeeding because, and equally maybe mums who are pregnant. Now, there's, there's, there's plenty of stuff kind of online about the, the safety for, for vaccines and pregnancy, but maybe not so much with breastfeeding. And there's probably mums out there, maybe newish mums who are only a couple of months into their breastfeeding journey. And now suddenly they're hearing, you're eligible to get the vaccine with your age group. but 
you know, they're not sure. So, I mean, can you tell us about the COVID vaccine and breastfeeding mums and what they need to know basically for if, if that's what their, their choice is to get the vaccine? So we're pleased to report that the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation is saying that it's safe for breastfeeding mums to have a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, now, the AstraZeneca, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is not being recommended for the younger age group now. So it may be, but unless, of course, there's nothing else available or that, you know, it's going to delay getting the vaccine. So probably at the minute we're saying, yes, breastfeeding mums, go ahead and have your vaccine. It's safe for you to do that. We've no evidence that have a detrimental effect. If you're offered the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, that's probably preferable. Similarly, as we're saying to pregnant women, um, and I mean, in the in the early stages of the pandemic, there was a lot of worry initially about, you know, can you even breastfeed if you get COVID or you're suspected of having COVID? But the evidence came out very clearly, quickly from the World Health Organization and uh, RCOG, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Royal College of Midwives to encourage women to breastfeed. You know that the benefits far outweighed any potential risk. And now we know that there isn't a risk. That that is reassuring, I think, for a lot of mums, and particularly um, if they are new to to breastfeeding, because I mean the pandemic is a is a whole new ball game for all of us, and a vaccine, and and obviously there's people have their own concerns, but it, it's reassuring to know that the medical evidence still support um getting the vaccine for mums. And um, Janet, I suppose we've spoken a lot about you know the struggles of getting breastfeeding established, um, and you know there's a lot of support for mums, you know once they. Once they get through those maybe first hurdles, you know, that that's that's what the focus is on, isn't it? Getting breastfeeding established and, and getting going. But what about, I suppose, when you get to breastfeeding beyond one, you know, there's maybe not as much information or support. And I know I'm I'm in that position now myself where you're thinking about starting to trying to wean your toddler um, and it's it's a, it's a difficult time, I think, probably for a lot of mums. It's an emotional time. But what advice and tips would you have for people who maybe want to bring their breastfeeding journey to an end? Because personally, I feel there's maybe not a lot of information out there about finishing your breastfeeding journey as opposed to helping you get it started. Yeah. Well, Sarah, that's amazing that you're you're still breastfeeding. Good for you. That's fantastic. Um, well, obviously, I'd be saying to you, you know, that every mom's different and uh the World Health Organization recommend exclusive breastfeeding till around six months. And then they talk about with continued breastfeeding into the second year of life and beyond. So um, there is good evidence to suggest that if you're still fe- feeding at that stage, that has benefits. But there's no doubt sometimes when you get to that end of your breastfeeding journey that some mums find it tricky Um in, in terms of the demands of the baby, you know, and it's very individual. Some toddlers will hardly want to feed at all. And it's just a first thing in the morning and going to bed at night thing. And other toddlers seem to want to feed loads. And especially if they're poorly, they'll want to feed loads or if they're upset. What we would say is, you know, breastfeeding's not just about nutrition. It's about that emotional connection and all that the baby gets whenever they're offered the comfort of being held and, and breastfed. But if you're at that stage where you're f- fighting, I, I want to wind this down, um, 
the people who are the experts on this are La Leche League. La Leche League um, would practice baby led weaning, but they have a lot of experience and helping mums through that, through that stage. Um, tips like diversions, you know, like if the baby is asking for a feed, but you know that they probably, or maybe you just at the minute don't want to have to feed them. Things like offering them a drink out of a cup instead or an apple you know a snack a healthy snack instead or we'll sit down and we'll read a story those kind of things can help to um reduce the number of feeds if that's what you want to do we would always say try and do it gradually don't do it like really suddenly because that's a big shock for the little one so if you can try and wind it down nice and slowly, maybe get it down to a feed a day, maybe just at night time. And then maybe if there's an opportunity where you think, I think this little one could do without a feed, don't offer it. If that's where you want to be in your journey, try not to offer it and, you know, try diversion tactics and then wind it down slowly. And that would be my advice on on that um, toddler led weaning. And I suppose there's maybe a lot of pressure, you know, from from family, you know, outside influences for mums to bring their journey to an end. You know, people getting told, oh, if you if you stop feeding, maybe they'll they'll eat a little better or they'll sleep through the night. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, common things maybe that you hear mums feeding back to you about what they're being told. Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is that every child is different and, you know, it's more common that babies don't sleep through than they do sleep through. And that's a big myth, I think. And it's one of the things that we often say to people when we're asking how things are with a baby and a toddler will say, are they sleeping through? It's almost like that's a massive milestone. And without realising that babies actually aren't equipped to sleep through for many, many months. And some babies are just real live wires and light sweep sleepers and they don't sleep through for ages and it's no reflection on your mothering or ability it's just they're different and that's that that's what they need and I think when you deny a child that comfort and that parenting that they need whether it be day or night time then you can you can create an insecurity in them that can make that journey longer before they're able to settle themselves and and just be on their own for that bit longer. I know it's very it's very it's very important to know. I think I think you're right, um, Janet. It's one of those situations where if it's working for your family and it's not maybe interrupting your 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 daily life, that that's fine. And and you know we we probably should learn to maybe ignore the outside voices who are telling us it's time to stop. Is it not? You know should 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 you not be off that stage by now or whatever? And and just do what suits your family. And obviously, if it is your decision that okay, I kind of feel like I do want to you know maybe discontinue this then you can take the steps to do that but only when you're ready absolutely and it's very individual isn't it you know some babies um seem to be disinterested in breastfeeding really quickly you know and then others are just i think i think if you're a working mum and you work outside the home when you're away from your baby for the majority of the day it should come as no surprise to us that they want the comfort of you and they want to breastfeed when they get you home regardless of what age they are yeah that, that's probably true as well let's say if, if a child has maybe been especially if they're an age where they maybe have started like a, a daycare or a nursery it's probably you know they all they all find comfort in their mums so 
that's that's probably very very normal that they would associate you know you with that because obviously they've had it from from they were they were infants and i would really encourage mums to keep going with the feeding if they can when they've gone back to work because that's that unique lovely connection that you can hold on to for a little bit bit longer I was just going to ask Janet about, I suppose, the recommendations and about, I suppose, the figures for Northern Ireland I'd, when it comes to breastfeeding, like how many mums are still feeding at six months, are still feeding at a year and how long it's actually recommended that you do continue breastfeeding for? So so in Northern Ireland, um, we reckon that 17% of babies are still breastfed at six months. 17% and then at a year it's 10%. Now that might seem really low but actually it's quite a substantial increase in the last six or seven years where we're going on a nice trajectory up the ways. Now it's slow, it takes time and, and you know what we are finding is we lose a lot of mums even in those early days so you might have a first feed or so you know um, when the baby's in skin to skin contact just after they're born and that's great and any and all breastfeeding should be valued and for some mums that's all they feel they can do and 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 you know that that's okay but we lose an awful lot so like we would have say 60 percent of mums would start breastfeeding give at least one feed and then by the time they go home from hospital we're at 48 percent and then there's a big drop again at six weeks. I think it's 27%. And when we compare ourselves with other parts of the UK and some of the Scandinavian countries, we are we have really low breastfeeding rates. So we're, there's a lot more we have to do, don't we, as women, to encourage other breastfeeding mums and, and talk more about it and talk about the realities of it as well. You know that. But the one thing I think um, I learned about breastfeeding is that for many women, you don't get to the really good part until you're several weeks down the line. You know that moment that you think, I can do this and it's not uncomfortable. And actually, I love doing this. This is amazing. Um, and, and I think that a lot of our mums don't get to that stage and then they're left with a bad memory and feeling like it didn't work for me or I, I didn't enjoy it. So I suppose we've, we've a lot to do really to, to talk be talking more about the realities and the joys of breastfeeding. Yeah, and there's probably a lot more we can do as a society as well, Janet, in terms of, you know, I know there has been a lot of work, particularly by the PHA in the last number of years in terms of when places reopen again, obviously as we had pre-pandemic, is the is the breastfeeding friendly locations. I mean, it's it's shocking when there's still stories making the headlines that, you know, a breastfeeding mum was, you know, maybe put out of a restaurant again pre-COVID times or or asked to leave or asked to cover up. Um, you know, I mean, there's probably a lot more we can do as a society to make it a more inclusive place for breastfeeding mums. Definitely. And the welcome scheme, you know, obviously, as you say, because because so many businesses have been closed and we haven't been eaten out, then a lot of the members, you know, um, haven't been active during that time. But we need to get that going again and make sure that there's lots of those little heart-shaped logos about, you know, the wee sticker, the lovely little pink and white sticker. Um, but also that mums know you don't, of course, you can breastfeed your baby anywhere that you need to and want to. Um, and I think whenever there's a challenge we need to be proactive and what I tend to do in my position is 
offer support to that business. So I will, you know, if there's been a complaint that comes in through the media, I will call that business and say, would you like to join the scheme and I can help you and have you training for your staff and, and in that way grow a creative environment for breastfeeding because that's what's our breastfeeding strategy in Northern Ireland. The key outcome for it is, outcome on, it talks about creating supportive environments for breastfeeding and that's what we need to do. Make it more normal, more visible, um, and then we'll start to change things. That's great. Thank you so much, Janet, for, for taking the time today to talk us through, you know, all these different um, aspects of breastfeeding because I think when you become a mom you, th- you maybe have the idea that it's going to be it's going to be simple and it's just going to be just throw not throw the baby on but you know what I mean it just attaches and it's fine um, but it's it's a journey for for women and everybody has a completely different one um, and it's been good to talk through some of the aspects of that today thank you thank you for having me So I'm really glad that we got to speak to Janet there about breastfeeding beyond one because she's given me some really good ideas for trying to bring this journey to an end with Theo. I know it's not going to be easy, um, but she's made me feel a lot better about it. Um, And hopefully we can do it in a way that uh, he is also comfortable and happy with too. I think that's probably the most important thing is that it works for you. And obviously, it's been brilliant that you've been able to keep it going this long. And it, ha- it obviously worked for, worked for you. Mm-hmm. That's why you kept it up. Otherwise, you, you know, you wouldn't have been still doing it at this stage. So, yeah, I think it's just about making sure it works for your family. Um, like, I know certainly this time around in this pregnancy, um, I've had so many conflicting thoughts when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, when we get there and, and all being well, when the baby's here and, and, and feeding in those first stages. But I think even with my first experience not having gone as well and, you know, the the guilt you feed because obviously there is a lot of, you know, promotion around breastfeeding and breast mm-hmm. space and everything. And that that's brilliant. I I, I totally I, I'm always behind that. Um and it hasn't put me off. My first experience hasn't put me off um for giving it a go the next time round. So it's just about I think playing it out and again yeah. just going in with an open mind. I know well that's it because if if we had a second child, I have no idea whether things yeah. would go the same way they went with Theo. You know, I could be met with a whole different range of of obstacles. And like you say, it's just it's just having an open mind and seeing how things go. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere you get your podcasts.